Hello, everybody. You are listening to an episode of Hear and Obey. Uh, This is our episodes where we get together and sit down and discuss the word preached the day before. Today's a little strange. Um, My name is Matt Groon. I'm a pastoral resident at Emmaus Road Church, and I am by myself. (laughs) Never had the experience before of sitting in a room and talking to nobody, but there's a lot of podcasters out there that do it regularly, so maybe this is a chance to learn, I guess. But Ryan, uh, as uh, they just welcomed a new little girl into the world, so he is uh, he is at home with Barbara and the boys uh, and this new little girl enjoying that. Mark is out of town, um, so it's just me. And we've kind of developed a policy of something's better than nothing to continue to, to serve the people of Emmaus Road. So uh, my aim today is just to kind of go through uh, the text that was preached just yesterday by uh, our very own Jordan Strand. It was incredible to, to have Jordan and Abigail back with us um, and to hear him preach. I, I know that feeling of being away what, when I came last year to, to preach during the PC year. Um, it might have been my first time back at Emmaus in over two years. Um, and that was just, the last time was just a one-off time in the summer. So it'd been three, almost four years since I had been back. And it, I was just an emotional wreck. Um, the singing before, I remember just standing by Greg and just thinking, this is, this is incredible. Um, and then to have to go up and preach. So Jordan served us so well by, by preaching. It's just so good to see him and Abigail and as they continue to be faithful to their, uh, to their work in Louisville, Kentucky at the Pastors College. Um, man, we was just good to, be, good to be with them. So, uh, the text Jordan preached from was continuing on in our Exodus series, uh, chapter 17, 1 through 7. Um, and if, you, if this is the third of these three separate scenes uh, after the Exodus, three separate scenes of testing in the wilderness. So if, if you kind of section off in your mind, the first like five, six chapters of Exodus are kind of the situation, the lane of the, the, lane of the, um, the setting. Uh, the Israelites are in slavery. Uh, they appeal to God for deliverance. And then Exodus uh, 7 through 15 is the actual Exodus itself. It's the, the 10 plagues, God and Pharaoh going to war, and God dramatically winning. Um, you have institutions of the Passover uh, and the Passover lamb and all that that will foreshadow. You have the actual Exodus, the leaving out of Egypt, plundering the Egyptians on their way out. They leave in a hurry and are brought not the nearest route to the promised land, but brought to the edge of the Red Sea. And then God works in Pharaoh to bring Pharaoh and his army back and squeeze them against the the Red Sea. And they cross on dry land, and then they get to the other side, and they sing a song. Um, The horse and the rider God has thrown into the sea. He has fought for us. He has won. It's this majestic song that the whole congregation of Israel sings. And then, chapter end of 15 into 16 and 17 here, you have these wilderness stories. Um, as I preached two weeks ago, um, the, the scene of the, the bitter water uh, where they, God gives them a, a log to throw in to, to give them clean water, and then the grumbling of their stomachs and the bread from heaven, the manna and the quail. Um, and then this next scene, Exodus chapter 17, we have our third and final scene of these kind of wilderness grumblings. So I'm going to read this text and then just give a few thoughts from the sermon yesterday. The, the aim, of course, is to 
We, we don't just want to be hearers of the word only. We want to be doers. We want the word of Christ to dwell in us richly. We don't want to just be content takers or taker inners, um, just absorbing everything and then moving on to the next thing. We want to take some time and soak in this word and, and really ask, um, apply it to our lives. So Exodus chapter 17, 1 through 7. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? God, this is your word. We're thankful for it, for all that you have done and all that you have said to us. And would you bless this word now as we consider it in Christ's name. Amen. So, as Jordan mentioned yesterday, first thing we want to do is kind of take in. We want to observe. We want to take a lay of the land and see all that we have, all that God has for us here in Exodus chapter 17. And Jordan had a couple really helpful opening illustrations. Um, he said something, he, he had the intro on the World War II story and the play of putting God on trial. Somebody needs to be blamed for what is going on. Is it the Nazis? Is it us? Uh, or is it ultimately God? So God gets put on trial, and he had this, uh, he had this great word, at, when faced with the hard things in life, how do we usually react? Trials test our faith and reveal the object of our trust. For the Israelites, the question kept coming up is, how do they still not get it? They, they keep blaming Moses, they keep blaming everybody but themselves, and God has promised over and over again to supply everything they need, and yet they still don't get it. And it's hard to discern the good that God intends for us when we're so blinded by our own problems, if you will. Um, so here was, uh, here was Jordan's main point. He said, because God is present with his people, we can trust him at, in all things. It's a great, we call those props, propositions. What is, the, what is the claim the text is making? What's the summary of the whole thing? Boil it down. What can we take with us? One nugget of truth. And it's because God is present with us, with his people, we can trust him in all things. And that comes from that last verse, that, that chapter 17, verse 7, where it says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, is the Lord among us or not? And that really seems to be the, the main uh, frustration the Israelites have is they feel like God is abandoning them, which is 
silly, of course, from, from our perspective as we read this story. It's hard for us to imagine. How can they think that? How, how is it possible that that even could cross their minds? All that God has done for them in the Exodus, in the crossing the Red Sea, why would he lead them out here and then abandon them? When he has told them that he will stay with them, he's going to take them all the way to the promised land. And so anytime, he, so, so what this really shows is heat reveals, trials reveal what we're actually trusting in. And so what's expo- what it is exposing in the people is this frivolous faith, this uh, we will only follow you as long as we deem it beneficial to us, which is, if we're honest with ourselves, Probably the majority of the time is how we feel about God. Um, this 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 tendency to treat God as if He's a like a butler or um, somebody that we can just ring when we need Him. Uh, not not this warrior king that they sang about in chapter fifteen who leads them and fights for them. Um, that that kind of is our default, isn't it? Um, and it it's interesting that in all these texts, the the grumbling begins with um, kind of. You might be able to say understandable um, needs, whether it be thirst or hunger. Like like Jordan said, thirst is a is a natural impulse. It, it drives us. Um, there are natural natural cravings that do not find like satisfaction. Things like hunger and thirst they, they tend to lead to grumbling. Um, but those circumstances, it's it's in those circumstances that expose our hearts. Who are we trusting to satisfy those things? Um, and for the Israelites, they are demanding Moses give them water. I'm looking back at uh, um, verse 2. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. <laughs> Which is interesting. They, they just go to the, the only person that they seem to can able to pin down, the one to blame, um, is Moses. And they demand that he gives them water. And Moses naturally says, Hey, 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 I, I'm not the one who's leading you here. Um, I'm following God. Um, and so the displeasure with Moses, what, what he is quick to reveal is the displeasure with Moses is actually their displeasure with God. Uh, he's the one that their quarrel is with. He's the one that has brought them out there. He's the one that, quote unquote, is out there to kill them. Um, and so that's where this courtroom analogy is helpful, uh, how Jordan described it as a courtroom, because it really is the people putting God on trial saying, accusing him of putting them out there to die, effectively committed to murdering them. Um, And what an accusation, right? And so Jordan made a really good point. Grumbling is no small offense because we all, I think we can all agree, we, our natural tendency is to grumble, is to complain when when things don't go our way. Um, When uh, you know, news comes in. We were hoping f- we, we were hoping for something else, or things annoy us or frustrate us. That our, our heart's tendency is to, ugh, this is just frustrating. I'm annoyed. It's a grumbling, right? And he did well to t- to remind us, grumbling is no small offense, because grumbling is just the symptom of a much deeper issue. It's it's a symptom of our hearts not being satisfied in the thing that they can actually be satisfied in, namely in God. So for these Israelites, this, is a, um, this has been an escalating situation. First was the water uh, in, verse 15, in chapter 15, at the end of 15, was the, the bitter water. And they kind of quietly go, hey, Moses, we can't find any water. Any chance we could 
do something about that. And God graciously provides. Uh, chapter 16, they, their stomachs are grumbling and the whole congregation, the entire congregation of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said, would that we had died by the hand of the, of the Lord in the land of Egypt. He, 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 essentially, they're ramping up. And then it finally breaks out here in chapter 17 where they just they can't do it anymore. God is out to get them and they feel wronged. They are not just grumbling and complaining. They, are, they feel grieved. Um, so it's been this escalation, which is so shocking again because God continues to answer their grumbling with grace, with provision, with faithfulness. He's reminding them slowly and, man, patiently that I have made promises to you and I am a God who keeps my word. And so he continues to provide and provide and provide. So God, however, you know, I think Jordan did a good job here too of pulling out a little bit and reminding us God is, the grumbling's not shocking him in some sense. He is a sovereign God. He did lead them this way in particular in order to test them. It is he they are following. So how they respond in these situations out in the desert, how they respond is indicative to what they are trusting. So God, in his sovereignty and in his, um, in his care for his people, he is teaching them by way of trial and by way of testing. He is teaching them. And, as I mean, we read this and we think, wow, they, they really are grumbling. How do they not get it? How can they not see what, that God is for them, not against them, right? It was clear that essentially they're charging God for the same thing Pharaoh did back, way back in chapter 5, I believe, when uh, the first time Moses goes to Pharaoh and asks him to let the people go, and Pharaoh makes their work much harder. He demands bricks, the same amount of bricks, but he removes their, the straw, the provided straw. So they have to go out and get their own straw to make bricks. Essentially, almost this tyrannical, um, torturous, making life worse for them. Essentially, that's what they're doing now by saying to God, did you just lead us out here into the desert just to kill us with thirst? So it, they haven't, as, as one author said in, in my study when I was prep, prepping, the getting Israel out of Egypt physically was going to be fairly simple for God. Getting Egypt out of Israel in their hearts and in their souls and in their, their um, commitments, in their satisfaction, that's going to take time. That's, gonna, that's what these trials are for. It's a, it's a gleaning process. It's a, um, a sharpening process for them to learn to turn to him and trust him. So this trial is set up. God is, be, God is on trial for essentially attempted manslaughter or attempted murder. And God responds again in the most shocking way. Moses cried out to the Lord, verse 4, What shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. It just shows how out of control this has gotten. Remember, there were, um, we're operating roughly with around 600,000 fighting men left Egypt. That's a, that's a number taken from numbers. Uh, 600,000 fighting men left Egypt, plus their family. So we're talking somewhere between 1.52, maybe even up to 3 million people are out in the wilderness um, with no water. And there is a riot. 
Um, if anybody's seen any any small group get out of control, they can do a lot of damage. Can you imagine two to three million people in an uproar against this one guy, Moses? And so Moses does what the only thing he knows what to do, which is to cry out to God, what shall I do? They're almost ready to stone me. Instead of the Lord saying, I'm going to come down and do some work and do some smiting, God graciously says, he says to Moses, <clears throat> pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile. <clears throat> Excuse me, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. So I thought Jordan was helpful in this too, of these elders are being almost set up as a jury, right? He, he gathers the elders at Mount Horeb, which by the way, is the mountain the Lord said back in Exodus 3, is where the burning bush was, right? And Moses, or God, back in Exodus chapter 3, promises Moses, you're going to go to Egypt, and I promise you, you're going to come right back here, and you're going to come with all the people. So here, already, we should, our eyes should be open. God, again, kept his promise. Shocker right? God keeps his promises. And now he's going to show that he's going to continue to keep his promises. So, so he gathers the elders at Mount Horeb on the mountain of the Lord. And he's, it's like he's gathering a jury for this trial, right? God will be present and he will appear before the people. And he's going to take this staff. And Jordan did a, a really nice job reminding us that this staff was a staff of judgment that was used to execute on the plagues on the nation of Egypt. It's the same one that struck the Nile to bring forth blood. It's the same one that um, was used to part the Red Sea. This staff of Moses was blessed by God back in Exodus 3 to be a means of divine judgment and revelation of God to the people. Okay, and so here it is now, but now it's being called forth to bring out life, right? This, this rock, this, this judgment this staff of judgment is going to be wielded, but not against the people who are grumbling and complaining. That's the shock. That's, the, if, if, I say, if I dare say it, the scandal of this whole situation. God uses the staff, the judgment, and he takes on himself the covenant curses, really. He takes on the judgment. God is subjecting himself to divine judgment. He is taking on the people's punishment, which is not only do the Israelites out of this deal get water, right? That meets their immediate physical needs. But all of this is setting a stage. Um, This is where the real power of God's word comes to life for us who live on this side of the cross, is that this rock is a a foreshadowing of the the rock. Um, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10.4, makes it clear when he says, and all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock, capital R, that followed them, and the rock was Christ. So this rock represents Christ, the one who will take the punishment, the one who is struck so that the people will not be struck, and out of that striking comes living water. There is really no more powerful text in the Old Testament, and really, I would argue, partly the whole Bible than Isaiah 53, 3 and 4. This is Isaiah's servant song. Jordan read from this. Um, this, this servant, who the servant of the Lord, 
Isaiah's prophesying will come. His spirit, the Spirit of God will rest on him, and then this happens. Isaiah 53, 3-4. Surely he, the servant, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. We know that servant is Christ. The suffering servant of Isaiah is Christ. The rock is Christ. Peter references this entire statement when he says, when he points back to it and says, this is Christ. He suffered on our behalf. He died. Yes, even death on a cross. Now, John in John 4 says, highlights this well when he says, Jesus said to her, this is the story of the uh, Samaritan woman at the well. Everyone who drinks of this water, the water from the well, will be thirsty again. See, that's, that, that's true of these Israelites. Yes, it's miraculous how they were provided water, but they're going to be thirsty again, right? I mean, this had to be a lot of water to feed two to three million people, and after the, plus their livestock, and after they are, their thirst has been satisfied, they're going to be thirsty again, right? So, Jesus is right when he says, everyone who drinks of this water, this physical water, will be thirsty again. But, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Christ is the rock that was struck on our behalf. And out of that rock comes rivers of living water comes water that will actually satisfy, living waters that will actually satisfy. So not only is Christ the rock, not only is he the bread of life, who when we eat of him, we will never be hungry again. Also, we drink of him. This is incredible. Christ, as always, is our yes. All the promises of of God are yes and amen in Christ. If you've been united to him, by his death and resurrection. Now all the benefits that belong to Christ, you've been adopted into his family and now belong to you. And that, my friends, is that is satisfaction. That's resting. That's how Paul can say in Philippians, I have found the secret of what it means to be content in all circumstances. That's the secret. I can be content because God has blessed me over and over and over again in Christ. And so when he says in Philippians 4, 13, when he says something like, I, in every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Here it is. I can do all things through him, through Christ who strengthens me. Because it's Christ and Christ alone who is our all, our all satisfying, our everything. Uh, because of him, whatever the circumstances come, whatever trials we face, we have full assurance that we, have, that we belong to him. And that can have such an effect on our souls in, in these seasons that we face. Maybe right now, again, you're facing a season of, of waiting. Maybe it's waiting news on a diagnosis or <clears throat> waiting news on a job opportunity or waiting news on an adoption process or waiting news on fertility conversations or waiting fill in the blank or you're suffering from chronic illness, or suffering from hard relationships, 
suffering from a job loss or you're asking questions about the future. The future seems scary. Do we, do we move? Do we stay? What, what's our finances look like? What's the market doing? All of these are opportunities for our hearts to freak out, really. It, it, they're opportunities for our hearts to look for satisfaction anywhere. And we start to make demands of other people. Give us water. Give us this. Give us that. Once I have that thing, once I achieve that, then I'll feel better. But the problem is, is in all those circumstances, our hearts go with us in each of the circumstances. So imagine you're suffering right now in chronic sickness. If your heart is not content now in your suffering, when the circumstances are relieved, you still have that same heart, just different circumstances. And what the beauty of the gospel is, God has replaced our heart of stone. It's Ezekiel 36. He's replaced our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He's made us, Ephesians 2, those of us who are dead in our trespasses, alive in Christ Jesus. So that now we can walk in his ways and are careful to walk in his ways by the power of his spirit. So, man, what a word uh, from Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Once again, God proves he is faithful. He is faithful to his promises, and he has said he will never leave us, and he is worthy of all of our praise. So, man, this is a good text to dwell on. It's a good text to, to remind ourselves, just even in the midst of our suffering, in our waiting, in our grumbling. The remedy to grumbling hearts is Christ. Drink from the living water that has and will always satisfy. So, till next time.